Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, May the 24th, 2016. Air calling number is 646. 200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everyone. We're honored that you're with us once again today to inquire into this process of internal healing, waking up to the truth of who we are as human beings. And... Back about, oh, I don't know, two years ago, I was doing some research on this whole idea of the human being being the presence of love. You know, if you ask a, um, a person who's held a newborn child to describe the essence of the newborn, they'll always answer with some variation on the theme of love. And we all come in exactly the same way. The world puts its thumbprint on us. The tendency is to lose our awareness to what we're not and to get lost in that. Carl Jung says, there is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And so this whole process of making one's darkness conscious becomes the pursuit of a lifetime for one who realizes that locked into this structure is every piece of darkness that has ever impinged upon its generations and that has never been resolved. The resolution of that darkness, whatever form it takes, happens through forgiveness, the primary tool. And what happens is with forgiveness, as Carl Jung talks about there, we bring the darkness forward, and we bring the darkness forward to the light. If you look at steps four and five in the wake-up sheet, the reality management worksheet, you'll see that in step four, the focus is to bring love conscious, active, and present within your mind. Step five is where, having identified the goal that's driving perception based in some sort of pain or darkness, by canceling that goal, the perception collapses 
collapses, it collapses in on itself and gives an opportunity to bring that darkness, that hidden part of the mind. Someone uh, a couple of years ago who'd done a lot of uh, work in the realm of psychology and a lot of shadow work came to a Y workshop, started doing worksheets, and they said, my God, this is like shadow work on steroids. And yes, it truly is when you really start to pitch in. And, and notice when there's resistance, as Jung says, uh, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, the craziest things in order to avoid. They'll rail, they'll rage, they'll, they'll batter their support. If their support is empowering them to go to a place that they don't want to go, they get lost in that resistance. It's interesting in the ancient Aramaic, the word Satan is nothing to do with the person, a personality. It's a lowercase word, and it speaks of the resistor, one who misleads. And so when we're stuck in resistance, no, I don't want to deal with this, and our mind's telling us a story about how it's all somebody else's fault that we're feeling this, then we're stuck quite literally in the Aramaic sense, in Satan. And so breaking down that resistance and stepping into willingness becomes an important key in the process. So we're honored and delighted to be here. It's not a Dr. Feelgood process. And the layers peel off when one is vital enough to allow the layers to peel off. So that's what we're here to support. I think we're going to have a couple of callers today from some conversations I had with people. So I'm going to cut the... uh, Uh, the introduction short, and I'm going to invite Dr. Tim to say hello and see how he's doing and see what he has to add today, what he's seeing in his practice, and uh, what he has to share with us. Dr. Tim. Thank you. um, What I've been dealing with so far this morning is um, the great difficulty, even when people can acknowledge at an intellectual level that it's all an inside job, the great difficulty that we experience in breaking the pattern of talking about or thinking about somebody else when we're upset. And since it's a primary prerequisite to healing, it's really important to just stay there until I get it for me to really work at, you know, developing the habit or the behavior, strengthening the behavior until it becomes a habit, and then continue to strengthen it until it becomes my default habit. That every time I'm upset, I look inside myself. And I had a couple more people this morning where the pattern of talking about, you know, when they said this, how how could they say this? Can you believe this person said this to me? And all of that outer directed focus keeps me from seeing the source of my upset. So that's been the theme so far today, and it's, um, you know, my experience has been that I need to be gentle with myself as I try to establish that as a new behavior pattern and strengthen it to a habit and then strengthen it till it becomes my default habit. And because I know I need to be gentle with myself, it makes it easier for me to be gentle with others who continue the pattern of looking outside of themselves to try and blame or find the source of their pain. So that's my offering for today, and I'm looking forward to the callers. Well, that's certainly a 
a good one. And anybody who would like to, it's oftentimes easier to observe when someone else is doing it. And if you go to the archives, actually, pardon me, not the archives of the show, but if you go to whyagain.org and you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a red and white bullseye. If you click on that, it'll open a series of links. The third link is some of our more important radio shows, including the radio shows where we've walked somebody through the forgiveness process. The second radio show, if I'm remembering correctly, the second radio show in that link is our dear friend Richard, who in the early days of the work uh, was say, stuck in a little resistance and uh, spent an hour walking through the worksheet and having to remind him to come back and talk about himself. So it, it can be, and we thank you, Richard, for, uh, for being willing to, uh, to put yourself out there so courageously the way you did that day, but to, to just observe how the mind sneaks back into its pattern of thinking and speaking about somebody else. And ultimately, we've got to discipline ourselves to go, oh, yeah, this is about me. Oh, yes, I'm feeling this. This is mine. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking this. This belongs to me. And, of course, when that becomes, as Dr. Tim says, the default, then we're off to another level of doing our work. So that... uh, Again, I believe it was the second radio show in the series of radio show links there that uh, we went through that. uh, The resistor worksheet. So, Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up by chance? Not yet. We don't. Um, I did get, but while we're waiting for someone to put their hand up, I got a hand just went up. I did get a text from someone wanting a clearer explanation of the difference between the goal in the middle of the worksheet and the goal at the end of the worksheet. Okay, so great. So do you want to do that so, first or go to the caller? Sure. That, that, no, let's, uh, that'll be quick. We could just go through that rather quickly. In the, when you get to step three in the current seven-step worksheet, you're looking to identify the goal that's driving the perception that contains your pain. So, you know, I want my brother to be generous with me instead of keeping all the money. So that goal would be I want my brother to be generous with me. And if I'm in pain and turmoil and I'm telling my brother what he did wrong and how he hurt me when he did that, then that goal is the driver of my perception of my brother. And when I forgive as to my brother, I cancel that goal. It collapses my perception that uh, the, the picture in my mind that my brother's the problem and empowers me to drop into what underlies the goal that I normally keep hidden from myself. So that's the key step in, uh, in step three. And then going to step five, you bring love forward in step four and then go to step five and cancel the goal. When you get to the last step in the worksheet, what you're looking to do is to form a conscious goal. You know, you've, you've canceled the goal that you had for whoever you're doing the worksheet on, even if it was yourself. In step seven, whoever you're doing the worksheet on, you're now looking to formulate a, a goal, find an intention, elevate it to a goal, and set it to do a behavior toward the person that you've Uh, been dissing and thinking is the problem in your life. So you're looking now to find a new conscious driver 
to drive perception about that object of attention instead of the old one where they were, at least in your mind, frustrating your goal. So I think if that uh, that covers it, that should should do it. If there are any other questions, yeah, uh, please drop the note back or call and uh, we'll have a conversation about it. I was just going to add, too, uh, that Magda had offered a part that she said she'd been doing all these worksheets forever and never actually put it into her consciousness that the goal that's set at the end of the worksheet, yeah, it takes you to a different space at the end of the worksheet, but that it's actually a goal and that you either have to achieve the goal or cancel the goal. So even at the end of it, you have to do that, correct? Yeah, the, the the idea when you set a goal in step seven is to fulfill the goal, is to carry it out. Not to go, oh, well, I came up with a loving goal, and now I'm going to forget it. Because even that goal will underlie the surface. There are only two ways to get rid of. You know, the way you create stress is by setting a goal. There are only two ways to get rid of stress. Either achieve the goal or cancel the goal. And so once you set that goal in step seven, you actually want to turn it into a behavior and make it something that you're willing to do that you're willing to actually fulfill toward that person. So with the brother who's withholding the money, uh, my new goal might be, and I choose to be generous with my brother and loving with my brother. So that might be what that goal might look like. And the next time I see him and he's hoarding everything, I'm going to stand and breathe and bring forward the space of love and reach out in a loving way. And what tends to happen when you reach out in a loving way towards someone is their behaviors begin to shift and change. You will see miracles happen. So let's talk to our caller, sweetie. Okay, it's area code 207. You're on the air. Who do we have? This is Shelly. Well, hey there, young man. Good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yes, good to be back in the circulation, actually. I just... um thought I would say that uh, what you're just talking about, about the goals and all that, some, yes. from, 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 from what I'm getting from from my end, even though we start doing those things, it may take months or years for those goals to pan out, depending on on the other parties well, involved. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we'd, uh, we'd shift that a little bit in the workshop, Getting the Stress You Need. We point out that a goal is something that is reasonably achievable and that you plan to achieve within the next 24 hours. Because what happens is, let's say I have a plan, you know, we oftentimes, she, you know, did her degree a couple of years ago, and we oftentimes use that as an example. When Jeannie decided or chose to go back to school to get her degree, uh, she didn't, you know, put on her cap and gown and go and walk, although that was certainly in her plan. If she had set the goal the day she started school to put on her cap and gown and walk, then that stress would have been in her mind all the way through school and using up resources. But if the thing that she can do, so she's got a plan to complete her degree and to walk with her cap and gown, receive her diploma, uh, which she did summa cum laude, which I thought was pretty awesome, considering we were on the road while she did it. I couldn't have done what she did. It's pretty amazing to watch her. But when I am going to have that sort of a plan, then I look today at, is there anything I can do today to achieve that particular plan? Well, you know, I have to apply for uh, for entry into the school and 
registration closes tomorrow. So, okay, I'm going to set frame and set the goal today to go and do my registration. That's something I can achieve today to bring about the completion of that plan. They're going to be in the next three years that I'm doing that degree study, there's going to be a thousand goals that I'm going to set. But I only want to set them in a time frame where they are achievable in the next 24 hours. Elsewise, I'll be creating a stress in my mind which will not serve me. So it's only what I can do today that I really want to put in my commitment list. This is what I'm going to do. And everything else I put in my planner. You know, if let's say I'm going to do, get some, uh, some student loans. And, you know, the loan process, they've got some special program going on, and the loan process doesn't open until next week. There's no sense in me setting a goal to put a loan application in today because I just created a useless stress. My mind's going to work on that and work on that, and I'm going to be spinning my wheels. I'm going to put it in my planner next Tuesday when the loan process opens, when that special thing comes available, to put my application in for it. So that day, that next Tuesday, I'm going to set that goal so that I do the behavior to relieve the stress of that goal, and now I've taken another step in achieving my plan. But you really don't want to set goals for five years out because you just created a wasted stress. And what happens is when you waste, uh, when you put a goal in that creates a wasted stress, is you use up your mental and emotional resources, and people become overloaded doing that. You know, the number one complaint for people going to doctors is, I'm too stressed. And the reason for that is people don't know that you only set a goal for the next waking period. They've got today's, you know, they went to a goal workshop and the the person teaching the goal workshop said set your daily goals and your weekly goals and your monthly and your biannual and your annual and your five-year goal and your 10-year goal and your 20-year goal. And by the time they come out of that workshop, they were so stressed they could hardly function. People who procrastinate, procrastinate because they're overloaded with stress from all the goals unachieved in their minds. Cancel those goals, get your resources back. You're more empowered to do what it takes to produce the results you want. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. Cool. And I don't, I don't know whether you've got – you might want to watch the video, Getting the Stress You Need. That's the key um, where we present that tool and mind goal management sheet that, uh, that comes out of the Laws of Living workshop intensive. Yeah, when I get done today, I'm going to watch that video you sent me yesterday. Cool. Awesome. Very good. Thank you, sir. Well, is is there anything to share about uh, what you've been doing the last few weeks? Yeah, I've I've been doing some processing, some heavy, heavy, heavy processing. And um, processing was so heavy that I had to go someplace just to be myself and make myself safe. And um, with all the processing I went through, it, um, it transformed my life into um, really what I've wanted it to be for many, many, many years. It was like a switch flip. And um, and um, I'm waiting for the next step. I'm hoping the processing slows down drastically from the last time I went through it. I'm hoping it doesn't come up for a little while, but I'm in a good place right now. Of course, I still miss well, that's cool. my friends, but... Yeah, it's it's nice to be in a good place, and when you're in a good place, that's a nice space to at least at some sort of a gentle pace, place keep your process going. I know that uh, I've observed over the years with enough people who are really committed in doing their work that I've coined a term called process point. And process point is the point where one is living at a level of willingness and vitality high enough that 
the veil is open and they're in continuous, I mean, literally 24-7 process. And that energy is moving in them continuously. And that is a really sweet and awesome place to be, although sometimes, again, the things that are allowed to surface and we get in touch with can be pretty deep and intense and, and, and seem to be painful. One of the things to, uh, to recognize is that when we're accessing some of these old dynamics, they come up as though they're live, present moment experiences. And we experience the pain of, you know, what happened to the three-year-old as a live, present moment experience 30 years later. And by doing that, we can simply re-empower the pain. One of the things to recognize and remember when you're accessing old painful memories, old painful experiences and working through them is that what you're accessing is memories of pain, not pain. And it makes the process a lot easier when you recognize that, oh, this is a memory of pain. I don't have to get lost in it and make it real again today. I can remember when it was real enough for me, and I can keep bringing love present and allow myself to work through this memory of pain, an energy that was unresolved in me, and that can make the process a whole lot easier. I think that was probably the biggest thing that I learned in the last, days is that really they're just memories and they don't matter. They don't count. They don't, they don't, they're nothing, there's nothing to them if you don't give them the power that they want. And that the, um, the thing we talked about yesterday is that um, just because you have an emotion doesn't mean you got to uh, latch onto that emotion and make decisions and be reactive. It's better to be proactive and sit back and let the emotion float through and the feelings and, and, and use that, that logical mind and the emotional mind together to make a wise mind decision. Yay. That's in the biggest. Sounds right yeah. on to me. Yeah, thank Fabulous. you for all of the guys. We're delighted to be on your team. Any other way we can support you? Anything else happening? No, sir. I'm just um, glad to be on the other side of the light right now. I hear you. Out of the sun. I hear you. Cool. You. I'll see you guys soon. I'm planning to be up in the okay. I'm to be there in July. Awesome. We'll look forward to seeing you at Heartland. Blessings. All right. Thank you, Jeannie. All right. Bye-bye. Actually, right. actually, the first intensive, the, the schedule's changed around, and the first intensive at Heartland this summer will start on August the 1st. Oh, even better for me. You're, yeah. Hey, you're certainly willing to come a little early. Just keep us posted. But uh, the actual 10-day food fund forgiveness starts on August 1st. All right. I'm heading to Maine right now. Cool. i got a son having issues that i got to go and support. Uh, well, we'll hold the space. Thank you. Maybe bring them. Maybe bring them along with you. I was considering that. Hmm. Nice. Dragon man, he's nice. Well, keep this post up, sir. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jeannie. All righty. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So our calling number is six four six two hundred four one six nine. If there's any way we can support you, if you have a question for us, push one. That puts a hand up in the phone queue, and uh, Jeannie will see that on her computer and introduce you. Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody with a hand up? No, we don't, but then um, your conversation with Shelly just brought up uh, something that I haven't responded to the email yet, but I, I got another email. Actually, I spoke with you about this this morning, um, and it's from someone you were talking about, you know, the willingness and going to the next level and being at process point and that 
keeping the energy still moving. And, and this person wrote me and they don't want to go there anymore. They, their process has been so deep and, and actually just from their wording, it sounds like they actually would choose to check out to not stay uh, in their body because they're just tired of the process. Do you have something to, to offer that person? Well, the first thing I would offer is that checking out of your body is no escape. Whatever energies you carry, you're going to carry with you. You get to do it again. There's never going to be an easier time to work through and resolve something than now. And when you, you allow yourself in the context of some of the things that need to be worked through, and, you know, some of the things that have gone on on planet Earth are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we were watching the other night, there's a uh, National Geographic video on Catherine the Great, who was a czar of Russia for, I don't know, a couple of decades. And looking at, they, they got into some pretty gritty detail about the way the the culture in Russia back 1800s ran. And basically, except for a few, you know, of the royalty, you know, the people like in this country who would run the political system, you know, the, the Congress and, and those sorts of things, the people who run for office, aside from those folks, literally everybody else was owned property and a slave. I mean, throughout the whole of Russia, nine million people, slaves, owned and the brutality with which they were treated, the, the insanity that went on in that culture, unbelievable. And when one recognizes that perhaps that's in their genes, perhaps that's in their early life experiences, and those things are all energies, but the truth of who we are is the active presence of love, then bringing forward that active presence of love becomes the key to dissolving, staying in touch with the truth of who we are rather than losing our identity to something that's happened to us or messages that we've gotten from a power person. So I'd invite you to just keep stepping into willingness and there'll come a point. I mean, over and over and over again, over the years I've had somebody like, who said similar things to what, Jeannie just shared and when they come out the other side once they get through that level of process the appreciation they have for their new awakened state and what they're now capable of doing with their lives is monumental so I invite you to recognize there's a there's a great story about a, a king who who was uh, I guess it kind of sounds like he was manic depressive. And so he offered to anyone in his kingdom half of his wealth. He would give them half of the kingdom if they could make him happy when he was sad and sad when he was happy. The person who got the half of the kingdom handed him a token that said, this too will pass. So when you're in the middle of your muddle and you think, and, and you know, the nine-bit mind can be so filled with that trauma and pain, it seems like it will never end and there's no way out the other side. And the truth is, when you begin to remember who you are and do your work, whatever the trauma is, there is a way out the other side. And on the other side of it, there is delight, there is 
extreme ecstasy and joy. That's the natural state of each of us as human beings, extreme ecstasy and joy. But if we lose awareness of the fact that there is the presence of love in us, to some other energy of pain or trauma, it can seem like the pain or trauma is the only thing that's ever going to be experienced. And that's just not true. You do your work, and this too will pass. You come out the other side clean and clear and in a whole new level of awareness that will bear such gifts you will appreciate your life more and more and more each layer that you go through. And as I said, the layers can be pretty intense. So that would be my input. Does that cover it, Jeannie, where you want to go with that? Yes, I think so. And actually, um, a couple people in the chat room said that they can relate. So that's perfect. Do you have anything to add to that? No, except that what I told them in the chat room, I said, I've absolutely been there. There's been a couple times where it's just gotten so intense. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want it to stop. And that's when we have to just, you know, breathe and and take it one step at a time, one breath at a time. Um, and it's not always fun, but in the process it's not, but on the other side it is. It's awesome. And we just side. have to Absolutely. remember that as we clear layers, it takes us to a more vital point where we can look at the next level of perhaps that same issue. And so it it may seem like, it continues and never stops, but it's actually just another layer of the same. And uh, it's, you know, if we focus on the symptoms or the circumstance, then we can recreate it. But realizing that, oh, okay, this is another layer going by, then we can move through it a little easier. But it's where we put our focus, I think. Exactly, exactly. Dr. Tim, do you have anything to add to that conversation, that question? Well, it's a difficult one, and it has come up over the years. I think um, w- one thing that helped me individually was realizing, you know, there's no guarantee that if I do end my life, it's going to be any better on the other side. And so facing and having had experiences that demonstrate to me from the little things to the medium things to the big things that when I turn and face them, they when I'm through it on the other side, it's always better. My own experience of that has been a help. And and then the other thing I say is to people is to have to really be careful about reaching out for help and making sure that I don't try and do it all myself when I'm feeling overwhelmed because, you know, learning to listen to my inner guidance doesn't mean I I go it alone. It means part of my inner guidance might be, listen, this is too big for you. So get your own help, get your own, get support for your, instead of trying to do this alone. And I'm frequently encouraging people rather than waiting until the point where they're thinking they can't do anything and life isn't worth living, get support and help earlier in the process. So Great input. Great input, yes. When you look at some of the, uh, 
especially the generational issues where all we can see is the tip of the iceberg and what we're really dealing with has been going on for so long in our bloodline that the intensity is overwhelming and extreme. Uh, definitely, you know, get a little support from your friends. It's, it's an important part of the process. Very important part. That's, you know, one of the uh, ideas of, uh, of an intensive is to have a space set up where people will do things that they wouldn't normally do in order to allow themselves to get to that level of process, to confront parts of themselves that normally they would arrange their lives. Well, I just turn away from that. I run away from that. I take a shot of scotch if I'm getting near that. Oh, well, I do my, uh, you know, my, my ice cream if, if I'm going to go and have to deal with my, you know, my, my uh, siblings and on and on and on. So some people set their lives up so they never have to, they keep themselves so weakened that they never have to look at the root of what's going on. One of the ideas of the nutritional program that we do as part of an intensive at Heartland is we do total fresh and raw food. Everything is as fresh as it can possibly be. We don't open cans and dump it into a pot and cook it and say, here's your dinner. We actually serve food. And what happens is that food vitalizes, nourishes, takes people out of nutritional bankruptcy and out of that state of nutritional bankruptcy, when we become nutritionally solvent, then we can conduct and move those energies. One of the things I think that uh, contributes to the idea of suicide is one keeps themselves in enough of a weakened condition that here's this issue in my face, it's in my face, it's in my face, it's in my face, it's in my face and it's in my face, but I never am able to work through it. And the reason I'm never able to work through it is because I keep feeding myself garbage, I keep thinking garbage, and I keep my energy so low that I can't process through this. So the idea of an intensive and then having other people who are live in the process and doing their work increases the vitality, which also increases the intensity, but it increases the speed at which those energies can move and one can get free of them. So it's it's an important process to uh, to remember that you're not in alone. You don't have to do it alone. There is support available. That's one of the reasons for this show. You know, right now there are people all over the globe who are holding a space, each person that calls in. I know there are people in different parts of the country and different parts of the globe that are literally holding an active space of love pointed toward whoever's in the conversation and in, in trauma. And that energetically becomes a vitalizing force that alone can take one through one of those issues that otherwise they would probably never on their own work through. And if you're ready to take your work to the next level, we're going to be doing a, uh, a nine-day Why Is This Happening to Me Again intensive this summer. And in that workshop, we cover a whole series. We do Why Is This Happening to Me Again, Healing Through Relationships, Communication. Did you hear what I think I said? Empowered to Heal, Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. We train people how to do hands-on energy field work. And, of course, we do still point breathing in that nine-day process. So that can be a powerful place to do a layer and a level of that work. And then, of course, uh, we've got a 16-day laws of living, which just takes things to a whole other level in understanding from the Aramaic and the Aramaic tools that are presented there. 
We'll also be doing a three-day uh, personal code evaluation training for people who want to be able to use it online with clients or if they're teaching classes and such or support groups. So, so that's what we'll be doing this summer. And it looks like probably uh, June, June the 7th or so will be the cutoff date, the expiration date uh, for the uh, 10 free DVDs uh, if you register for an intensive. Of course, those DVDs don't come along with the, uh, the Food Fund Forgiveness and Work Program. That one's already discounted. But the Why Is This Happening to Me Again or the uh, Laws of Living, if you mention that you heard it on the radio show, we'll not only do 10 DVDs but a set of 15. So we can do $600 worth of free DVDs that come with, uh, with registration for an intensive this summer if you do it before June the 7th. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody else with a hand up? We had a hand up, and then it disappeared. So so if um, whoever had their hand up there is – oh, there it goes. Okay, Eric, at 781, you're on the air. Hi, everybody. It's Ron in Massachusetts. Well, hey there, young man. How are you? I am well. Do you hear me okay? Awesome. Uh, You're loud and clear, and thank you for those transcripts. Awesome. Oh, you're – you're welcome. It's been a gift uh, that keeps on giving. Cool. Um, For those who, uh, who don't know what I'm talking about, Ron had uh, volunteered, and he has transcribed the whole new four-hour Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. And yeah. uh, that's been going to be an awesome, uh, an awesome support and assist in the rewriting of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Word for word. So now I have it. I have a... Uh, I have a, an app called transcribe.com or something, .net or something, and I can now I can watch your videos and speed them up and read along with you, and uh, I can do an hour and a half an hour, so it's kind of neat. Um, oh, that's I go cool. Through, yeah, so I can build the brain cells at whatever pace I, I choose. I did the transcribing at half speed, so now I'm going to faster speed. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, I wanted to share something um, with you that you you tell a story, Michael, about an insight you had reading Telhad de Chardin, where this is one of your stories that you've told in a lot of workshops, and it's about him saying that um, the joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God, and you had an insight one day that it was joy is the infallible sign of the awareness of the presence of God because you, um, God is always present. And I just, this was because I had a, I had a similar um, experience with you that you had with Telhard um, for me. And I don't know if it applies to other people, but it's fit well for me. And uh-huh. um, it was about your, beautiful um, writings on life without tools and life with tools and life without tools and how you talked about, you know, I heard you the other day, I heard you the other day saying that I have, um, that there are people that have no tools and I was in a, this might be a good discussion for recovery Wednesday because I was in an AA meeting and it dawned on me that it wasn't that I had no tools, that I actually had destructive tools that I had, um, you know, alcohol was a tool. Guilt was a tool. 
So what I had, what I, my change was um, I didn't have tools that were rooted in love. I didn't have tools that were rooted in healing in sound principles. And so not only did I have to pick up tools after not having some, I had to pick up tools after having tools that were leading me deeper into my trauma, which fits well with another thing you say in, in the um, Y workshop, which is that the life that we choose by using these tools is a lighter, easier, far, infinitely lighter and easier life, but it takes a lot more effort when I have been doing um, to, you know, if I've come home every night and I've just watched, you know, trash TV for four hours a night, it takes a lot more effort to, um, it takes no effort to just go and do it one more night. It takes effort to go and find a lighted area and do a worksheet and invite support and so forth. Um, But in time, that uh, becomes a lighter life. But initially it looks like a heavier life. And the more time I spent with destructive tools, the longer, you know, the more challenging it seemed uh, to pick up the work and do the work. And um, one of the destructive, and and to go comment on the uh, person that, that, or the discussion about when things get so intense um, that suicide seems like a viable option. This is one of the, the tools that I had that, um, in the process of continually letting go of is the tool of struggle and the tool of, you know, the, the, that, that I've got to fight all the time to, you know, where healing is fighting and, and, you know, it's the whole kind of, there's so many places in our culture, um, whether it be Rocky movies or any time you want to turn on an inspirational movie where it's just go and fight and fight, fight, beat yourself up. And, and then, and then you'll come out the other side well and happy. And, um, and healing doesn't look like that, you know. Healing, healing looks more like uh, inclusion, letting being with what we're going through, opening the space, uh, and and that we don't do it ourselves. That we do it with support from other people, and with the love of a higher power that that actually does the work. And it's not up, it's not it's not our fighting and our struggle that does it. It's our opening and our allowing that does it. So those are my thoughts, and uh, I guess I'll go on mute, and I'd love to hear any input or feedback that you have. What a fabulous insight to, to recognize that it really, you're, you're absolutely right. I had never thought of it that way. It isn't life without tools. It is a whole set of tools that culture has given us to keep us in insanity and unconsciousness. So that's a great insight. Uh, do you mind if I uh, use that? Have you copyrighted that? Is right if I use that? Of course. I'm, I'm honored. Every, I'd be delighted. I'm honored that you uh, receive it that way. Yeah, that's that's a great great thing to understand, and and tying that together with, it's not a hard way to live. It's much easier to live with with tools that take you back to love, but it does take effort. Where the old automatic uh, destructive tools kick in automatically. Hey, it's easy for me to use the tool of rage when somebody frustrates a goal. I just turn and puke on them, and oh well, who cares? What's that matter? And uh, of course, if I do that, I get the original. They get a carbon copy and may not be home for delivery. So that uh, destructive tool just increases the load, increases the load, increases the load. And, and yeah, I think that's exactly what makes, uh, for some people, 
suicide seem like the only option because they don't know how to do anything else besides put the burden on, put the load on, put the burden on, put the burden on. You know, I was talking last week, I'd seen the film, uh, it's just out in the theaters this last week or so, uh, Papa Hemingway. And you just watch how the man had, I mean, this guy's a genius. He's, he's a Nobel Prize winning writer. And yet, after a few drinks, when the stress is up and the chips are down, he talks about himself as a piece of dirt who's worth nothing. And I, I just, it's like my heart poured out for him as I watched, because here's this genius who's impacted the world so powerfully with his writing, and yet he has no tools with which to work through his self-deprecating thoughts, no way to let go of that energy. And uh, I lament for him and for the billions of people on the planet who don't have a clue that there are constructive tools available. And, uh, of course, that just redoubles my commitment to keep making them available. That's beautiful, Michael. Thank you. Great point. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And how's that uh, new little one developing? When is, uh, when is your due date? Well, <laughs> August 18th is the due date, and we got beautiful pictures out. I can text them to you. Of um, you can see his gorgeous, perfect little mouth in there, and uh, and his uh, beautiful, sweet face. And we are excited. In fact, I think I'm going to be doing some, uh, doing pulling some more baby stuff out of the attic today to see what's what's still usable. And, um, mm. We are definitely creating a space here. And I can only imagine Grace at 10 must be so excited. She is. She's actually she's 11 now. She just turned 11. 11, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Yes, but, but your point is right on track. It's She is so excited. And it's been, um, I mean, I'm so, the, the gratitude that I have about, you know, for, for understanding these principles and, you know, if I were to describe the day we had yesterday, I mean, just taking her to the local park to see uh, all the girls play softball because she's into that now, and then just just playing, you know, for a couple of hours and just her saying, you know, can we go to this other field? My friend has a game. And it was almost dinner time, and the old me would have absolutely been, um, no, we can't do that. we got to get home. It's dinner time. Look at the clock, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you'd have, we can you'd have pulled your power person thing. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, sure, we can nope. do that. And we had a, just a lovely time. And we literally walked mm-hmm. off the field with a, with a long walk back to the car after we had been playing for two hours. We literally walked off the field with my my arm, you know, my hand on her shoulder and my arm around her like that, just talking and chatting. And and you know, for an 11 year old to let her dad just rest his hand across mm. her shoulder and, and walk like that. Uh, it's, mm. it's just, I'm just, it's just so beautiful. And so, uh, such a lovely, uh, experience. So, um, yeah. thank you for all That's that you do. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of, you know, working hard to wake up in the smallest ways. And, and those are the most, those are such rewarding ways, you know, just that, and the apologize, and I apologize to her a lot, you know. Oh, you know what? I apologize, Grace. I, you know, I use those words, and I think it's okay because I'm being cool. But 
but this is actually a conversation we had yesterday. Um, but you know, when I use words like that, it taps me into a, a, a bunch of sadness on the planet that I really don't want us to be tapped into. So, will you hold me accountable when you use when you hear me use words like that? Can you just say, Dad? You know, you said you wanted to be more serious about that, uh, or more help me accountable for that, and I'll um, and I'll do my best to to change my um, you know to change direction on that. And we laughed and joked, but I but it was. It's just those little pivots of I'm not going to do it the way the last thousand generations did it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to receive the gifts that they offered me and run with those. But when I catch myself um, just doing the automated stuff, um, I'm going to do my best to uh, to redirect. And and that can work in the, in the deepest despair too. You know, just um, I'm going to instead of just being I'm going to do something little to take care of myself. I'm going to take a hot bath. Um, I'm going to call someone that I that I know will be appreciative of me. I'm not going to tell that sad story to myself one more time right now. I'm going to, even mm. sometimes it is, you curl up in a ball in your bed and you, you hug yourself and you do that. That's part of it. I, I have no, but, um, but it's, it's, we always, I think, tend to think it's the big dramatic gestures in life where, great things happen and and I've found the, the opposite to be true that great things happen in the smaller choices that we have uh, because that's where we're really where our influence is absolutely and you know just to hear you say that and to know the kind of communication that that's going to uh, provide a space for you know so many parents you know, do the number on their kids when they're four or six or ten. Well, because I said so, and that's just it. Uh, and then they wonder why when the kid's 14, it's just like, well, wait, because I said so. And they wonder yeah. why. And keeping that responsibility communication open and keeping that modeling, oh, I made a mistake. Hey, help me, support me with this. It's like, oh, what a space when she's 14 and 15 and looking at all that changes going on her body and all this stuff happening. Well, she's going to be able to go to dad and say, oh, help me with this. It's like what modeling that is as opposed to I have to be the paragon of strength and have it all handled myself. Where does that leave a kid without tools? So I'm so glad you brought that up. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad you brought that up because it was about a month ago, I'm guessing, you could have knocked me over with a feather when I had a, a, a realization because Grace is now 11, and for 11 years, parents have been telling me, you know, uh, well, enjoy it now because she's not going to want anything to do with you in a few years. So enjoy it now because she's not going to want you around then. And and it, and then one day it occurred to me, and I think it was dealing with, you know, processing having a new baby and what, how that might influence Grace and all that. It just came out, came through so clearly that, it's not the kids that move away from the parents. It's the parents that decide the kid's not so cute anymore and the kid's not yep. so fun anymore. And the kid's now demanding that I be creative in my communication and not just – and it's, it's, it's just like when people in churches say, well, if, some, if, you're, if, you're, if you feel far away from God, guess who moved? Well, if you're far away from your child, guess who moved? No. Cats in the cradle. <laughs> so anyway, I got. I mean, he gave us such a great song, uh, "Cats in the Cradle." Yeah, out just like me. 
Yeah, and and sometimes it's hard to look in a mirror with that kind of stuff. Well, when I was doing some work around um, the moment of giving up being, I got to a level where it was still projection, where it was that it wasn't that I had given up my being. It was that my power person had given up that I was worth um, adoring in the same way. And that was pretty intense. Mm. And I I still... And so that's been... um, So I I don't know if I I have gotten down to the level level yet where I'm responsible for that yet. Um, But I I got pretty pretty doggone close to it. Um, So working on healing... That and and being present for my family and and the rewards are uh, the rewards are showing up. And, um, my heart goes out to anybody who uh, and we are creating a space, holding a space for anybody who's in that place where they've been using destructive tools for so long that it just doesn't seem like there's any hope. Um, and my best input is that the hope comes in tiny, tiny little increments and little choices, and then sometimes big yeah. stuff. For sure. And and that insight comes on the top of, let's see, you've been doing your inner work for 18, 19 years? Yeah, I met you, Michael, when I was 29. I'm now 47, so 18 years. And I've been, I've been a really committed um, student over that time. I've, I've done tens of thousands of worksheets and, and uh, haven't always been in regular contact with you, but I've always been in regular contact with with you on the on a spiritual level and on a level of um, practice, doing what I need, you know, on on a on a different level than just talking on the phone. That's awesome. Well, of course, all I have to do is listen to your conversation to to tell the uh, the genuineness of the work that you've done and and uh, what you're creating. So I I just applaud you and appreciate you and any way we can be of support. That's what we're here for. All right. Hi, Jeannie. Hey, Ron. Thanks for offering that. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I'm going to go on mute again. All right. Love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, we've got about, I think, five or so minutes left, so we've got time for another call. If anybody's got a hand up or anything else happening in the, uh, the phone queue, Jeannie, or questions? Um, nobody has their hand up. There was one up and it's disappeared. So if you're still on, press one. That puts you back up there. And in the chat room, just uh, a lot of uh, confirmation that yeah, they agreed with with what all you and Ron were saying. And and it's awesome to uh, be able to do things differently with your children. Absolutely. Just so amazing. And we have a hand. Let's go for it. Area code. Area code 917, you're on the air. Yes, hello. This is Jackie Cradle from um, La Plata, Maryland. And I met Dr. Rice on the love journey. Um, oh, cool. Welcome. And England. Yes, so great to be here. I'm so excited about the last caller who was on. Uh, he really hit the mark on a lot of things for me. Uh, I didn't realize when I was in my dark space that I was really being having these destructive tools that I had within myself 
you know, being negative. I didn't realize that, you know, being negative and, you know, feeling unworthy and everything, that these was tools that I was using for myself to, when I was at, at a very low, low, low uh, vibration in my life. Right. And, and so uh, he just hit the mark on a lot of things for me. And so now I have these beautiful tools now where I am loving myself and, and creating a better space and a better life for myself. And by me doing that for myself, everyone around me is being blessed because of the person that I am now, you know, these tools that I have now. Uh, you know, I had to take one step at a time, you know, because going from that, you know, going from the darkness to the light, you know, that's powerful, you know. That's big you know, yeah, it is. It's like I'm playing pickaboo with stuff. myself with my life. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I well, love you remember this guy two thousand years ago that said, "You are the light of the world." Yes. You are the light yes. of the world. That's what he was talking about. So. Yeah, but when you're in a dark space, you know, how do you see that light? How do you see yourself as that when you feel unworthy and everything? You know, So once you start working with your tools, you know, a little bit at a time, you know, you begin to see the light. Oh, yes, I am the light of the world. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I loved what he said about his daughter when he had his hand on her shoulder. You know, she's going to remember that always. She will remember oh, that always. Time. Yes, yes. You know, yep. it may yep. be in a, in a day when she may feel like she's at her lo- her lowest or lonely or something, and she remember that day when Dad had his arms on her shoulder and they just walking, and and she'll remember that touch and everything. She'll remember that day just like as if it was yesterday. So, Dad, keep doing what you're doing because your daughter loves you, and she's going to always, always remember you. I'm a daddy's girl, and my dad has passed on, so... I can honestly say that she's going to always have um, your love with her, always. Just keep doing what you're doing, Dad. Sweet. <laughs> yes. Sweet. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, I, I finally made it, and I kept forgetting, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, let me get on the call real quick. <laughs> I'm excited to cool. be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's a delight. I'm enjoying working with that community uh, once a week and uh, looking forward to how how it develops and, and unfolds and you know, just taking the tools one more step toward more uh, more hearts and minds and beings on the planet. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So yeah. any way you can and pass you know, it on, all, pass it on. Most definitely, most definitely. And I always say that I want to go on a sabbatical. I want to go on a sabbatical. And what you have to offer is, I'm like, oh, here is my sabbatical right here. So I'm going to look into it and see how I can get things to work out to manifest for me so I'm able to attend, you know, some of your uh, your retreats in the near future. Cool, cool. Well, we've got uh, two intensives this summer. We'll do a nine-day yes. uh, Why is this happening to begin. I think that starts around something like the 14th or so of August. And then about 10 days later, we'll start a 16-day Laws of Living. So take a look at the schedule, and maybe we'll get to see you this summer. That would be fabulous. Yes, yes. I like your fun, food, and forgiveness. That's the, is that the why this happened to me? No, the food, fun, forgiveness, and work program, that's the one where we do work. It's not a full-time intensive. 
That's the one where we okay. do work projects during the day. It's kind of an economy program. We do work projects during the day, and then we do a single workshop each evening. During the intensives, we actually divide the day into three-part morning, afternoon, and evening session, and each day we'll do two sessions. So we'll do anywhere from five and a half to six and a half, and if things really get rocky, we might do ten hours of, uh, of work and process. So that's the full-time wow. intensive compared to we'll do about two hours each evening during during the Food Fund Forgiveness. And I just realized we're down to about 10 seconds, so I need to close the show out. Thank you for your call. Blessings. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.